Parsha with Rabbi Coleman, your spiritual compass on life. An inspiring blend of reflections on the weekly Torah portion with psychological insights on personal growth and the human condition. This week's portion is Parsha's Yisro. It's Parsha's Yisro, and, you know, Parsha's Yisro, it, you know, even though I don't like to say that certain portions are more important than other portions, or, other, or certain parts of the portion are more important than other parts of the portion, every single portion is of immense value and purpose. Every single verse is of immense value and purpose, and that's why there's not a single verse in the Torah that can be looked at as being less significant, less significant than the other. However, there are certain portions which do stand out in terms of the uh, impact that the, the portion has had upon civilization, on civilization. And this unquestionably is probably the most impactful portion or the events described in this portion, most impactful events on human civilization. It's uh, the giving the Torah Mount Sinai. So Parshish Yisro, even though the name Yisro is referring is, is in reference to uh, to Moshe's father-in-law, who was a convert, became Jewish. So it's all very interesting that the the most seminal portion of the portion in term of the Torah in terms of its impact on civilization is named after Yisro, after a convert. Very very telling, you know. If you if I would ask you uh, if you had multiple choice and you didn't know. And I said, there's a portion which contains the revelation, the narrative of the revelation of the Torah, and it's named after a particular individual, a very, very important individual, and multiple choice, pick one of them, Moshe, Aaron, Betzalel, I know, Yisro. I think the least person you would, you would, you would suggest would be Yisro, but it's very telling because it shows us the, 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 how, no matter who we are, where we come from, what we are, what our upbringing was, what our background is, everyone has an access to the Torah. Everyone has an access to the revelation of the Torah, to the value of the Torah. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, significant and, uh, you know, telling that the, the, the portion which contains the revelation is named after Yisra. So what I've wanted to do for many years, and uh, I, I've always wanted to go through this, because when you go through the narrative of the revelation itself, uh, a few things. First of all, not the, the, the entire narrative of the revelation is not contained in this portion. Another part of it is actually at the end of next week's portion. We do have a principle of Ein Muktam Torah that there's no chronological order in the Torah. So there are many times in the Torah where certain pieces of the story are found elsewhere. And sometimes things are put into a different order for different reasons we're not going to get into right now. But if you if you want to track and see the play-by-play -play events of the revelation you have to really look at this portion Yisrael you have to look at the end of next week's portion Mishpatim from chapter 24 uh, onwards and then also Devarim as well because in Devarim it recaps all of the events of the Jewish people's wanderings through the desert including the revelation so it's tricky to go through it then also you combine it together with all of the teachings of the sages and what I've always wanted to do is, is, is understand and get clear the exact steps and exact things which happened at Mount Sinai from the point to which they arrived at the Sinai Desert, at Mount Sinai itself. So what I've done, I, I spent several hours doing this, and uh, it was, I was trying to piece it all together. I'm going to share the screen, and we're going to look at this together. And we're going to go through, we'll go through the whole story of the Revelation. And uh, as it happens, play by play, 
as we say. So the first thing is, and this is all sourced. It's, you can see the sources over here on the side. One second. Yeah. So, uh, so we will not focus on the where the verses are exactly. But the first, you see, on Sunday, the first of Sivan is when the Jewish people arrive at Mount Sinai. And that's the very first step, the very first part of the story, arriving at Sinai. The next day, Monday, the second of Sivan, Moshe ascends the mountain to speak with Hashem to receive instructions. And Hashem tells him to tell the people that they've been taken out of Egypt to become his cherished and priestly nation. So the very famous words, you're a nation of priests, you're a, an Amsagula, a cherished nation. That was told to Moshe you know, several days before the actual revelation. And that's the entree into the revelation, recognizing the specialness, the priestly nationhood of the Jewish people. He's to tell that to the people when he comes down. So he comes down the mountain and Moshe then relates to the people what Hashem said. And, and they all respond back and they all say, all that Hashem has said, we shall do. Now this is not to be confused with the very famous line of Nasa Vinishma, we'll do and we'll listen. Because that was said later on, actually twice. But this statement of all that Hashem has, has said, we shall do, is all that they said there on the second day, on the Monday, before the revelation. And then the miracle of everyone becoming healed of any ail ailments takes place. I'm not including in this all of the Midrashim and all the different details of the account, but this one I put in. But it's the, the miracle of this phenomena that everyone who was sick, anyone who was blind, everyone who was deaf, they all became completely healed and able to experience the revelation with no compromise whatsoever. A great miracle. The next day, Tuesday, Moshe returns to Hashem. He's very busy. I mean, it's a, it must have been a tiring exercise him going up and down the mountain this way. But we do know that the Mount, Mount Sinai wasn't the tallest of mountains. It was the smallest of mountains, mountains to teach us humility. So maybe it wasn't so high up. But in any event, Moshe goes back to Hashem and tells, tells Hashem the people's response, all that Hashem has said we're going to do. So Hashem then tells Moshe, I'm going to come to you within a thick cloud so the people will hear me speak to you and they will believe in you and all future prophets forever. This is so significant, that line. It's such a significant line because the question the people ask is, how do we know? How do we know that it's the Torah is from Hashem? So the de designation of Moshe being a prophet and being the intermediary between Hashem and the Jewish people and them recognizing that and then them seeing and hearing that he is the designated messenger is what's said in this verse over here. Because when they see, when they hear that Hashem is speaking and they see the experience and they wit a witness to the, co the communication between Moshe and, Hashem and, the, and, 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 and Hashem and Moshe, this establishes him to be a prophet for all future, for, for, to be to, for them to believe in him and prophets in the future as well. Very, very significant point. He comes down. Then on Wednesday, the 4th of Sivan, Moshe returns to Hashem with the people's response and I'm not going to be able to go into all of the, the details of this because I just don't know all the details. I mean, I, when I say that I, I've got the facts over here, but in terms of the behind the scenes and all of the reasons and the wherefores, etc., I don't know. I haven't had a chance to go into it in, in, in such depth. But they said, we don't want to hear from, a, from a, a king via a messenger. We want to see and hear from, our, from him ourselves personally. So apparently, you know, the plan was perhaps that they weren't going to get a direct revelation. It was only because they said, we don't want to hear from our king via messenger. We want to see and hear from him ourselves personally. 
Then Hashem instructs Moshe to therefore tell them to sanctify themselves and set boundaries around the mountain in preparation for the revelation on the third day. So again, it's, it's confusing to me a little bit because it sounds like that they, had they not said that, then certain things wouldn't have happened. So Tzorach In, as we say, needs further, further study, further analysis. I don't know. But in any event, it goes on. It says, he also tells them that he, Aaron, Nodav and Avihu, and the 70 elders shall ascend the mountain, bow at a distance that only Moshe shall approach further. Notice over there, just to, uh, in the side of us, is Rashi 24.1. This, this part over here is taken from the next, week, next week's portion because I told you that certain, certain pieces are not there. In fact, actually, in all honesty, uh, no, I'm sorry, sorry, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so that, that's taken from 24.1. Then Moshe descends and relates to all, all this to the people and also tells them the laws already given at Mora. Seven Noahide laws, the honoring of one's parents, the red heifer, and the monetary laws. This was earlier, last week's portion. There were certain laws which were already given to the Jewish people and Moshe, he comes back, he comes down again and he tells those laws. Seven Noahide laws, the honoring of one's parents, the red heifer, and monetary laws. And then Moshe writes a Sefer Torah from Bereshis until this point, and also give the right also writes those laws given at Mora as well. It's an ac- extremely busy day this Wednesday, miraculous. But this is what happens: is what the Torah and the Talmud and the Meforshim, the commentaries explain what took place on this day. Then on Thursday, which is the th- the fifth of Sivan, I began saying this before. What's interesting is this: is that in this week's portion, in this week's portion, Yisro. Uh, it goes through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then skips Thursday and Friday. And Thursday and Friday, or Thursday, is found in chapter twenty-four. And this is where it's so fascinating and perplexing. Why Thursday of the week before, the days before? Why that's not in this passage over here in Yisro, but it's found at the end of next week's portion? I don't know. But in any event, it tells us over there, the Moshe builds an altar at the base of the mountain and sets up 12 pillars for each tribe. And the firstborns then bring offerings and Moshe applies the blood to the altar. Moshe reads the Sefer Torah and they respond with Nasa Venishma. That's when it happens, Nasa Venishma. We will do and we'll listen. Now, everyone knows from many years ago now, everyone has it etched into their memory that Nasa Venishma, we will do and will listen, those famous words of the Jewish people are found in chapter 24, verse 4 of Exodus, next week's portion. And everyone has it so etched into their minds because it's 20, I'm sorry, not 24, 4, 24-7, made a mistake. 24-7, this part over here, this, this section begins in 24-4, but the actual words, Nasa Venishma, is 24-7 because it's a 24-7 mantra, a 24-7 mantra, Nasa Venishma, always being prepared to do, and then find out afterwards. Don't make the performance of the mitzvahs dependent upon understanding. First perform, first do, and as you go through life, learn more, understand more, but make the performance the primary modus operandus, and then learning always afterwards. Then Moshe sprinkles, this 24-7, Moshe then sprinkles the remaining blood on the people, declaring this is the blood of the covenant, and then Moshe and Aaron, Nodav and Avihu and the 70 elders have a vision of Hashem sitting with a sapphire brick as clear as the heavens under his foot. I only put this in there because we spoke, spoke about this a few weeks ago. But that's, that took place on the Thursday before the revelation. Then on Friday, Moshe doesn't do anything. He doesn't ascend due to Shabbos preparations. Now some of you may be thinking there is a little bit of a, a, a dispute in the Talmud about these last few days whether the revelation took place on the Friday or took place on the Shabbos. I'm not going to get into it right now, but this 
this chart is according to Reb Yossi, the sage Reb Yossi in the Talmud in uh, Tractate uh, Shabbos 88a. So you want it, you can take a look at it in more detail over there. But then it goes on in the last day, Shabbos, because it says that the Torah was given on Shabbos and the revelation begins and this is the most, this is it. This is the, the most seminal moment of human history. The revelation begins with a heavy cloud descending upon Mount Sinai, accompanied by thunder, lightning, and an incredibly loud shofar blast. I don't want to correct myself. I just made a mistake. I said the dispute before about the Torah being given. The dispute is not whether it was given on Friday or Shabbos. Everyone agrees that the Torah was given on Shabbos. The dispute in the Talmud is, is what day they what day they arrived at Mount Sinai. For example, I said at the beginning that according to this over here, it says they arrived on Sunday. The other opinion said they arrived on Monday. Therefore, it takes one day out. But everybody agrees the Torah was given on Shabbos. That's just important to take note of that. The revelation begins with a heavy cloud descending upon Mount Sinai, accompanied by thunder, lightning, and an incredibly loud shofar blast. Moshe brings the people forth, and they stand at the foot of the mountain. The Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, descends in a fire, and the mountain is shrouded with a smoke arising to the, to the heavens, and the mountain shudders. It's an incredible experience. The whole people witness this. They experience it. The shofar sound becomes louder and louder, and Hashem sends Moshe to the people, to warn them once again not to go beyond the assigned boundaries which were set up before. And then finally, Hashem speaks all the Ten Commandments. Now this is the opinion of Rashi and the Ramban, a little bit of a dispute about this, exactly how it was presented. But it says that Hashem speaks all the Ten Commandments in one single utterance. All Ten Commandments were expressed in one single utterance. And then he repeats them individually. But after the first two, due to the the intensity of the holy experience they were going through, the people ple- plead with Moshe, or plead that Moshe should teach them the rest of the commandments, the rest of the Ten Commandments. So they hear all the Ten Commandments in one utterance together in a sound which was not audible, which was not or comprehensible. But then Hashem then repeats all of them one by one, one by one, so that in the end, the only commandments which were clearly audibly heard without any ambiguity from Hashem with the first two commandments, but the rest were said, were then said through Moshe, even though they'd heard all of them at the very beginning in a sound which was a incomprehensible sound of the merging together of all of the ten uttering all of the ten commandments together. So this is the play this is the in a nutshell what happened. And uh, you know, it's an important thing because this is there's a mitzvah, there is a special mitzvah to remember Maimed Har Sinai, never to forget Maimed Har Sinai, the revelation at Sinai. We, we have to never forget it. I mean, how can, you know, no explanation needs to be given as to why it's so important not to forget it, because this is the bedrock, this is the pivotal event of not just, I mean, certainly human, human history, but also us as a Jewish people. If we don't have a connection to the Torah, then we lose everything. So the Torah is everything, the revelation at Sinai is everything. And it's a mitzvah to never forget it. The Torah repeats this later on. Don't forget this day that you you stood at Sinai. Never forget it. Always etch it into your minds, into your hearts. It's the most important day of the Jewish people's history. So that's it. That's the revelation. And, uh, you know, it's mystical. It's a mystical. I mean, there are miracles happening there. The earth, the, 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 the mountain shuddering. The Gemara says that Hashem lifted the mountain over the heads of the Jewish people and said... If you accept the Torah, then all well and good. But if not, then that's where your death is going to be. And the mountain, the mountain would, would come down and crashing upon them. Didn't do that, but that's what, that was, the, that was the, 
warning which was given, but the mountain was lifted up. So many miracles and the Medrash says also because of the intensity of the experience of the revelation and hearing God speak, they passed out, they died. It says they died and they had to have to have to have put upon them, sprinkled upon them the tal shall mason, the dew, the dew of re- of of resurrection of the dead. So there's it's a very you know, a theory, a spiritual, spiritual, mystical experience. And it's important to realize that we can't necessarily try to understand the story of the Exodus. And for that matter, it's hard to, of the revelation. And for that matter, the story of the Exodus, trying to kind of plug it into human experiential terms. Everything is miraculous. The whole thing is miraculous. Splitting of the sea, the 10 plagues, the whole thing, revelation, it's a whole miraculous phenomenon. It's, it's empowering to realize that, you know, we, our ancestors, were elevated to a state, to a, a, an experience which was beyond this world. And that's how the Torah was given. That's how the Torah came down. So that's just a little bit of a nutshell of the revelation. I want to just go now to the end of the portion, because aside from it being, you know, the seventh Aliyah, <laughs> but also it, I thought it's very interesting because... After the Ten Commandments are are, are, are mentioned over here, uh, in on page uh, finishes on page uh, page four twelve. So uh, the the last of the Ten Commandments on page four twelve four thirteen. So aside from it, just you know, again being the seventh Aliyah, but also I was curious to see exactly how does the Torah conclude the story of the of the Revelation, because how how stories end are uh, almost like a reflection back upon the story. So we look in chapter 20, 20 verse 15. I'll read it to you. This recapping upon what happened. The whole people, the, the, the entire nation could see the sounds and the thunder, the thunder and the, and the whole experience. And the sound of the shofar. And the the mountain was smoking. And the people saw of Yenu of Yamdu Marachok, and they they were they trembled and they stood backwards. They went backwards, and they said to Moshe, "You speak with us instead. Let not Hashem speak directly to us, even though that's what they wanted originally." And they did get that. They had that because we said that they heard the Ten Commandments in one utterance, and then they heard the two commandments clearly separately. But then it got too much for them. It was overwhelming. It became so intense that they then pleaded with Moshe, "Please, you speak for us instead, and you be the intermediary." And then Moshe said, Hal'am, the Moshe said to the people, don't be too afraid, don't be afraid, because because in order to elevate you among the nations, God is coming to you. And in order to have, that you should have fear upon your faces, not to sin, this is happening. And then the people stood from a distance and Moshe then went into the cloud, the thick cloud, to be the intermediary, to hear what Hashem would say. And then the rest of the Torah was then, was then given. So that's the last paragraph. That's the most, uh, the, that's the recap, so to speak, of everything of the whole revelation then then the torah goes into some laws now the laws which are here there's a few of them before the end of the portion and the laws are moshe said to hashem said to moshe to tell the people don't forget that i spoke to them from heaven i, I you, you just had a revelation but here are the laws lusasin eating don't make gods of don't make any don't make any gods of silver don't make gods of gold don't make any idols of silver and gold with regard to a mizbeach, with regard to an altar where sacrifices to be, are to be brought, he says, initially, 
before the base of Megid, before the temple is, is built, you're going to have earth, like uh, dirt, earth altars, and you can bring your altar, bring your offerings on, on earth altars. Uh, any place where I mention my name is an appropriate place where I'm going to come and descend and allow you to make an altar over there. That's where you have to make, make an altar. And then verse 22, but once you start building and making stone altars, referring to the base of Migdash, the temple, because in the temple, only a stone altar could be made, not an earth altar. But make sure that when you're making the stone altar, don't cut it out with, don't cut it with an iron, iron instruments. Don't cut the, the stone altar in the temple with an iron instrument. And then finally, this altar which you're making in the temple, make sure not to ascend the altar by steps. There has to be a ramp to ascend the top of the, the altar. And that's how the, that's how the portion ends. So I'm sure like you, I was, I was puzzled. Like what is the significance of these laws at the very end? And then, you know, what's, how, how do we, what is the, uh, what is the nature of the recap? What's the nature of the recap of the revelation? So, you know, I was looking at the psukim, looking at the verses, and struggling a little bit. I'll be honest with you that I spent a lot. I spent a long time putting that chart together. It looks very simple. It looks like a very simple table. It was. It took quite a while to put it all together. So, and I hope I didn't make any mistakes with it. But it's. Uh, I took a while to do that. So I got so preoccupied with making my table, and before I knew it. You know, no time was left to even figure out, you know, some kind of theme, some kind of message from the Porsche. So I could have just left it as that, but I, you know, I couldn't do that. So I, I, was, I was looking at these psalms and looking at them, and I, and I, you know, doing what I usually do, pulling out this safe or that safe. You, you, if you saw this desk at uh, 6 o'clock this morning, you know, you wouldn't have been able to see me. I was like hidden behind like piles of books. But I was trying to like find like a commentary which maybe explains it. And so I didn't find anything. So then I was just look, I'm just looking at the fucking looking at the, at the at the verses. And then suddenly, you know, it occurs to me. And I actually I was I mentioned this to someone this week as well, because it's interesting. Because this is the recap. Hashem says to at the end of the of the, of the Ten Commandments. Actually, first of all, before I before I say my point, the very first verse of this recap is that the people saw the sounds of the rev the saw the sounds. Now that itself is a whole class unto itself because how do you explain that it says they saw the sounds they saw the sounds how do you see sounds you don't see sounds you hear sounds so you know the art scroll says over here although the thunder is invisible the nation was able to see it so to speak implying that the revelation transcended normal limitations of the body jews rose to the level where they had superhuman comprehension so they could see what is normally heard so still need still begs for an explanation I heard an explanation of this many years ago. There's a, you may have heard of him, Rabbi Akiva Tatz. He's a, well, we had him speak for a seminar a few months ago. He's, he lives in London. He's a, uh, used to be a doctor in South Africa, a very uh, deep and thoughtful, very deep uh, individual. So had a great class I listened to years ago. I still remember what he said about this point about seeing sounds. And he explained that, that the difference between, between sight and sound is that sight, when I, I'm looking right now at a bookshelf over here, I look, there's a, if I describe to you this bookshelf, there's, so it'll take me like about 10 seconds to describe it. There's about eight, seven or eight shelves over there. There's, uh, there's, you know, there are like big books and small books. There's red binding books and there's some books on the top of there. And I start describing it to you. It takes a few seconds to describe it. But when I look at it, when you look at something, it doesn't take any time to describe it, to understand it. The nature of sight is that everything becomes crystal clear to you in an instant. That's the nature of vision. 
there's no time delay. There's no delay to kind of figure out what's being so... If I'm saying a sentence or I'm speaking really slowly and I'm going to tell... You know, you're sitting there, you'll fall asleep, but you're waiting to find out the whole picture because that's the nature of sound. So sound takes time to be able to... For the, for the whole picture to be, to be communicated. But with vision, the whole picture gets communicated in one instant. There's no ambiguity. There's no obscurity. So... It was he's he explained that the concept the con the philosophical concept of seeing sound is that the the clarity and the the clarity and the understanding and the depth of appreciation of the sounds that they were hearing from Hashem was without any obscurity or ambiguity whatsoever. It was crystal clear. There was not a it it seeped into the very recesses of their souls. It was so clear and so comprehensible and so impactful like looking at something with your eyes that it instantly makes the impression without any delay, without any delay of time of trying to figure it out. So it conveys this deep, profound and clear experience of the connection of the awareness of the understanding and the hearing of Hashem speaking. So that's how he explained it. That's the, but you know, again, it, it, it portrays like a, an experience beyond what we could imagine. But that's what happened. But then it goes on, as I said, it goes on. And then it says that then they got scared. It was like, it was so overwhelming that it forced them to recoil in fear. But then Moshe says, don't be afraid. And I want to zero in on this. Don't be afraid because number one, in order to elevate you, you're experiencing this. Rashi says, Rashi says, in order to elevate you, to bring you greatness in the world. That a reputation goes back to the, the, the sentence earlier before the revelation, a few days before the revelation, when Hashem said, you're an Amsagula, you're a cherished nation, you're a holy people, a nation, a kingdom of priests. So that's the purpose of the revelation, that you're to represent God in this world, to be elevated in the world. That a name, a good name, a righteous name, an ethical, a moral name, a spiritual name should be come out about you among the nations that he in his glory he revealed himself to you so you're, you're, you experience all of our ancestors and by the way this didn't happen such a long time ago you know yeah three and a half thousand years ago is a long time ago but as you all know you know whenever I get to Pesach I always speak about how you know the story of our ancestry takes place or we hear the story of our ancestry through our parents and our grandparents at the Seder, for example, right? We, 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 many of us went to a Seder with our grandparents who were about 60, 60 years older than us. So if, I, so if I went to the Seder with my grandfather who was about 60 years older than me and he, from his, he, he heard it from his grandfather 60 years, 60 years older than him. So you take about 60 and you divide that into 3,300 and you get 50. You get 50, 55 people maybe. There's only 55 people, let's say, between us and Sinai, between this event. So only 55 people you can get inside this room. So our ancestors, our great, 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 great grandparents were there. They saw this. They had this experience. But why did they have this experience? The first thing Hashem Moshe says to the people is, in order that you should be elevated, in order that you should have a reputation and a godless, a greatness, a holiness, a priestly kingdom-like nature in the world. That's your role. That's the purpose of revelation. That's number one. Now, that's, if I would stop there, you'd be, whoa, you feel so proud. We should be proud, right? We elevate the Nasus Eschem, 
Nasus Eschem, Hashem came to you to elevate you. So you st- if I stop there, wow, I can walk around. I feel so proud. I'm so great. I'm so, I'm God's nation. And then one, he said, hold on one second. But it also in order that you should be, have fear of Hashem and that the fear of Hashem should be upon your faces. The fear of Hashem should be on your faces because that fear you had, that experience was, did make you, it made you afraid. Because you can't forget that in addition to your feeling of elevation and dignity and pride, you also have to have fear as well. You have to have bashfulness, shame, and humility. They go together because one without the other is not good. Because having the pride is not good. It goes to your head, become arrogant. But having the humility can also be detrimental as well because you lose sight and you lose sight of the the greatness of what we are and what we represent. Both are necessary. And I thought it was just interesting because the verses really just jump out this way. And they say, that's the purpose of revelations. After all is said and done, that's what we have to go away with. We have to go away with this appreciation that we are God's chosen people in a sense that not a chosenness that we are this elite and 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 therefore everyone, we're better than everyone else. It, no, it's a, it's a chosenness that we have to represent him and serve him and to be his to be the light into the nations. That's the purpose. That's the that's the purpose of the Jewish people to be the light into the nations to sh- spread his fame in the world. That's what we're chosen for. But to do that with dignity and to do that with humility and to do that with shame and bashfulness and not to lord ourselves over other people in a in an arrogant and and uh, nasty nasty kind of way. And then then that last verse it says then Moshe, then Moshe walked off and he walked into the cloud to then be uh, to be the messenger. So that's the that's the message of the fairy. That's the that's what those that's the message of that little passage of what the revelation is about. And then it maybe stands to reason now why the next laws come into play, because the next verse then says Moshe then said Hashem then said to Moshe and now go down to the people and remind themselves right remind them of what they just experienced that I spoke to them. Remind them, remind them, the whole people, that I spoke to you from the heavens. Because to remember that, not to forget is is essential. To understand what happened, to understand our role. That I spoke with you from the heavens. Again, highlighting the greatness and the elevation of the experience. But then right away, a series of laws over here to make sure that it doesn't go to your head. Because when it comes to when it comes to the bringing sacrifice, when it brings, it comes to building the temple, the holy temple, which is going to be the place where that revelation is going to be continued to be manifest in future generations. You've got to make sure that the altar is not cut with stone, not no, sorry, not cut with, with metal, because metal is a sign of power and control and dominion and war and war, because that's, it's a, it symbolizes the very antithesis of the humility which we're trying to achieve. And the very last verse which is, sounds strange, don't ascend the altar with steps. Don't go up the, the altar with steps. What, what is that? So the idea of that is, it's, and this is, this is you know, some of the commentaries over here. Basically, I'll just read this. It says, the last two verses of the Cedric contain a profound lesson in sensitivity and a hum- humility because steps, when, you, when you walk up with steps and you're spreading your legs and you're exposing it, it's a little bit kind of, it's not, it's like, it's not appropriate. It's like, it's the, it's the opposite of, 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 of uh, what do you want? It's, it's the opposite of humility and and uh, bashfulness. Exposing oneself in an immodest way is not an expression of humility, and that's what the last the, the altar and the steps are, 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 are 
I'm sorry. Oh, here. And the last two verses of the Cedric contain a profound lesson of sensitivity. The altar and the steps are inanimate objects which would not be con conscious of the, of the pounding of iron or the anatomy of the Kohanim of the priests. But if the Torah commands us to, remain, to refrain from shaming them, surely a person should be eternally, eternally vigilant, never to cause shame or embarrassment to the living, breathing human beings, to always maintain the sense of humility and not to allow my greatness to, be, to go to my head, to then tread upon other people in a, in, a dis, in, a, in a disrespectful fashion, in a way which doesn't respect their humanity and their, and their being a human being. Being a, being also a uh, you know a a, 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 a uh, in the image of God, but also I just want to say that the Chafetz Chaim, the very famous Chafetz Chaim, was uh, he was invited to he was at a, some kind of uh, event I think it was in Vienna I saw it in the Sefer over there he was in a, in a certain and he was what he was they were trying trying to give him all sorts of honors of kind of giving him the the different different honors and different uh, you know venerations. And he said, he wanted, and he said, and they said, listen, you're a Kohen, you're a, you're a priest, and you're also a, a very, you know, an elderly, you're an old, you're a Zokain, you're an old, sagely individual. And then he said back to them, he said, he quoted this verse of it, he says, Lusala Mailas al Mizbuchi, which literally, with translation, is don't go up by steps upon my altar. But he, he interpreted it as like this don't go up with Ma'alot, Ma'alot are steps, but also are virtues and and qualities, self-appreciated virtues and qualities. Don't go up on my altar with your own perceived sense of greatness in yourself. Don't ascend my altar, God says. Don't come up to my altar priding yourself in all of your great achievements, which you may not necessarily even work for. So he said, I, I don't want to take any kind of honor over here. I don't want to kind of take, you know, the fact that I'm a Kohen, the fact that I'm an older person, that's what Hashem gave to me. I didn't, I didn't work on that. That's just a gift that Hashem gave to me. He said, I'm not, I don't want to take advantage of that. But it's, it conveys the same message of the humility, of maintaining humility. And that's the last message over here of the portion. So while we experience the revelation, and that revelation, the revelation brought us elevation in a way which was unprecedented, made us the great nation among, among the nations of the world, to be as light into the nations that could easily go to a person's head at the same time to couple that with great humility and bashfulness, which is the last messages of these mitzvahs in the, in the portion. So that's what I was thinking about this morning. I was thinking about that, you know, and, uh, you know, so I, I, so I walked upstairs and I, and I, as soon as, literally, as soon as I walked upstairs, so my wife, she said to me, she says, she shows me a, uh, she says, she like shows me like this 50, like 30 second video clip. And it was a video clip of, it was on WhatsApp of uh, some, some rabbi speaking about Rabbi uh, Abraham Tversky's Yotzeit, because it's his Yotzeit today, right? So it's first Yotzeit, 19th of Shvat. So, and the little video the rabbi was saying was describing what was the greatness of Rabbi Tversky? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So in this like 30 seconds, he says, and you know what Rabbi Tversky was in the world, he was a man of immense wisdom. He was so great. He had such immense wisdom and he was so elevated among people. But yet at the same time, he could, steep, he could, he could step very low and go down to the most simplest of people, no matter who they were, what their background was. He was able to relate to everybody, no matter how great and elevated he was, 
but he was also able to relate to the smallest, quote unquote, smallest of people. And then it shows like little kind of clips of him, like, you know, on the floor with his grandchildren. But, you know, I think, it, I think it's more than that. It's more, it's the, you know, we know anyone who knows who he was, he was, he was involved in a, in, um, in, um, in, uh, he was a psychiatrist, but he was involved with a lot of very, you know, challenging people who had kind of didn't necessarily make a, a lot of success of their lives because they got involved with addictions and different things. But he, everyone had, re, had his respect. Everyone had his, his regard and his, and his, and his honor. So it was really, uh, you know, I, you know, so I thought it was by Sherat, it was like, it was, so the lesson over here is that we should be, we should elevate ourselves with understanding the revelation that we had that revelation and feel the pride and the, the pride of being Jewish and the pride of being connected to the Torah, but at the same time to couple that with the, with the humility, but all the time, never to forget the revelation at Sinai to understand that's where we come from. That's what, that's the that's the heartthrob and it's the blood it's the energy of everything about us as being jewish we can never forget that it's the eighth chaim it's the tree of life i heard a story another story there was a uh, there was a um, in gateshead this took place in gateshead many many years it probably took place like 78 years 70 or so years ago there was a little, there was a little boy who was walking with his rabbi with his teacher in gateshead and it was uh, maybe the autumn and as the leaves were flying around in the air and they're flying off the trees. So then a little leaf kind of kind of landed on the little boy's hand. And the rabbi took the leaf and he, he looked at the, he showed, he showed the little boy, he said, see this leaf over here, see with all of its colors, like it was, it was red and yellow, and these, all these beautiful colors. And this little leaf over here is like flying around. It's flying around in the air. It seems so free and so able to do what it wants to do. But he said, realize this leaf in a few days from now, it's going to wither away. It's going to die. Right? So even though right now it's so buoyant in the air and seems to have a lot of color and a lot of life, but it's actually going to wither away and die. He says, never forget, he said, a person who feels free to live and do what they want to do without any restraints. You know, they may feel free and free and able, I can do whatever I want to do, but unless, they're connected, unless one's connected to the Torah, then that's not true freedom. Because just like this leaf needs to be connected to the tree over there to maintain its life. And when it's not connected to the tree, it will wither and die. So also we, if we're not connected to the tree of life, then spiritually it brings about, if not in one generation, in another generation, then it brings about the withering of that spiritual life of the leaf of the, of the Jew itself. So we need to be connected. We need to be connected. Don't be deceived by thinking that we can just do what we want, eat what we want, go where we want, just whatever we want, we're free, free, free. That's not true freedom. It may be free, it may seem like freedom right now, but in the long run, it's not going to bring about freedom of the Jewish soul. Only when we're connected to the spirit, to this tree of life, the Torah, then we then we all have we have life. But this portion over here, the revelation, this is where it all comes from. This is the source of it all. And we have to understand that Hashem spoke to us directly. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't as is popular out there that it, it, the book is written by some people. God forbid, chas v'shalom. Torah says in many places, you heard it. No one, the Torah, the people themselves accepted this story. The nation of Israel accepted the story of the declaration that they were told year after year after year. You saw it, you, you know, you saw it. Your parents saw it, your grandparents saw it. You know, this never got disputed. Never got disputed. Part of our, it's just, it's just, it's part of our, our existence. We heard that, Hashem spoke to us at Sinai. We heard the revelation. 
this is it. This is the core of it all. This is the source of all. So we should merit to be connected to the Torah, to be elevated by the Torah, but at the same time also to be humble in our affect, in, our, in the way we interact with the world and the people around us. We should always have that fear upon our reverence of Hashem upon our faces, bashfulness, but also be proud of being Jewish at the same time. For more information about Rabbi Coleman's educational services through his organization, the Institute for Jewish Ethics, call 215-782-8878 or visit ijethics.org. If you are interested in learning more about his therapeutic services, visit alexander-coleman.com or call 215-613-0657.